because sometimes we either tend to get on the fanatic extreme where we pick and choose roles that suit us and we judge those who don't follow or we tend to also become too complacent and don't take it we tend to take the mercy that we have for granted so feel free to write down any questions you have because at the end of the presentation you can, you know, you can ask Maharaj the questions and I hope you have a wonderful experience thank you Magyanat Mirandasya Janam Janasalaki Chakshunam Militam Yenatasmi Sri Gurave Namaham Nam Shrishtam Manumapi Satchiputram Matrasharupam Rupam Tashagrajamarupadim Matharingoshavatim Radha Kundam Giriboram Radhik Madhavasham Prapto Yasha Praditagri Paya Sri Gurum Tamatashni Anchakalpatarubia Saswat-sasavibhadaya samadaya chitarpitanmadaya Saswat-bhakti-vinodaya samadaya madhuryamaryadaya Sri Chaitanya-daya nidetavadaya Bhuyadamandodaya Janulambhita-bhujo kanakavadato Sankirtanaikapitaro kamalayato Vishwambaro dhyavaro jugadharma palo vande jagatriyakaro karunavataru Ladini shakti sarupaya gauranga suridayacha Bhakta shakti pradhanaya gadadharnamastad He Krishna karuna sindhadina vandho jagatpate Gopesha gopika kantaradha kantanamastad Radhe Vrindavanadi Shri Karunamrita Vahini Kripayani Japadabjadashan Mahim Pradiyatam Bhaktya Bihinaya Paradha Lakshai Kripta Shtakamadi Tarangamadhi Kripa Maitvam Sharanam Prapanam Vrindin Maste Charanaravindam Vrindin Maste Charanaravindam Shri Sachinandan Gaurhari ki jai, Shri Shri Gaurnityananda ki jai, Shri Shri Jagannath Baladev Subhadrai ki jai, Shri Harinam Sankirtan ki jai, Shri Mayapur Dham ki jai, Gaur Bhaktavrinda ki jai, Gaur Praman, Hari Hari Gaur. So, Pranam to all of you, welcome. Thank you so much for coming today and for sharing with me and with us your precious time and attention, which is basically the only thing we have to offer <laughs> to, to God, to Krishna, to life, our attention, where we want to be present at this precise moment. So it's uh, special for me that you have chosen to be here today. So I'll, I'll try to properly honor your, your presence today, your valuable openness for this exchange that we want to have. We call it Shravan Kirtan or Harikata or Satsanga. 
which is ultimately is an ideally is a sharing of hearts. No, it's ideally not an, a professional performance. I will have something and then you will hear and you have to be nice with the Swami and then, then comes Prashad, hopefully as soon as possible, end of the show and I continue with my life or something. <laughs> but it should be a, a genuine, hopefully, exchange of hearts where we together can create a very safe space to, to be open and to whatever Sri Krishna wants to reveal today through us, not only through me, but through all of us. All of us are potential vessels for God's will. So we have to take responsibility for that, each of us. <laughs> Trying to pray and be open so Bhagavan can express whatever he wants. So today, uh, Bhagavat invited me to be here and he mentioned a big part of the audience will be uh, the youth. So I'm feeling a little bit old today in front of all of you. <laughs> Generally, I don't feel quite old, but now contrast creates some, you know, I'm 43, I'm not that old, please. Be generous with me <laughs> but i was thinking yeah it's very for me it's very important to, to speak with the youth yes recently i was in the uk and also one uh one disciple of shiva Maharaj, rather damodar Prabhu, he also organized a whole meeting with the youth there <clears throat> and it was a similar topic it seems that that's that's the topic for the youth <laughs> hopefully not only for the youth actually uh i was thinking yeah that's for me, it's very humbling also because actually I don't feel myself, to be honest with you. I don't feel like, okay, I will I will instruct these young fellows and they will hear from the elder Maharaj what to do in life and so on. But I, I'm more in the mood of, I want to learn from all of you also. No? I want to hear what you have to say. I want to to become more acquainted with your particular experience. No? Even if you dare to consider me, <clears throat> consider me an elder, you dare so <laughs> even that the duty of an elder is to have attentive ears for what the youth have to say and be empathic with their experience and perspective because if not you lose touch with reality and you become uh, over entangled in your own generational lens so to say and, and think okay reality Krishna consciousness can only be seen practiced shared in this template and we may we may become quite quickly quite uh, outdated so to say and, and and even if one is an elder <clears throat> or even if someone is a guide or a guru or a leader you name it put the name you want the duty of, of all that, those people is to learn from from the young generations even I mean let's go to one of the main archetypes of the guru in our tradition Srila Vyasadev I'm not going to some weird example. Let's go to Vyasadev. I hope that's familiar to all of us. And Vyasadev in the Bhagavatam, more familiar. So what happens with Vyasila Vyasadev? Vyasadev again is the archetype of the guru figure. Now he's teaching the Bhagavatam to Sukadev Goswami. He's the compiler of all Shastra. And after teaching, instructing his own son and disciple, we could say, in the Bhagavatam, when Sukadev Goswami is Speaking Bhagavatam to Parikshit Maharaj, where is Vyasadeva in that moment? He's in the front row hearing with rapt attention what his student and son has to say. He's not there like, hey, I'm the elder here. Give me the Vyasa son to me. He's completely, not, and not only Vyasadeva is hearing what his son and disciple has to say, 
Narad is next to Vyasadev. Narad is Vyasa's guru. So Narad is hearing what his disciple's disciple has to say. So they are open to learn from everywhere. That's why we call guru. It's not only guru parampara, but it's guru sishya parampara. So the, everyone, ultimately everyone is sishya. Even the greatest guru is a disciple, is a student. It's open to learn from anywhere again. And then you have Parikshit Maharaj, another important figure in the Bhagavad Parikshit Maharaj, by age, he's elder than Sukadev Goswami. By experience in the world, he's elder than Sukadev Goswami. But when he saw Sukadev Goswami, he realized, oh, that there's my Gurudev there. He had this essential vision. He didn't say, oh, he's younger than me. He has nothing to teach me. No. And Sukadev Goswami lent himself to, to be misinterpreted. He was a young naked boy 15 years imagine you had just no. were walking here in mayapur and a 15 year old naked boy goes like walking and followed by people with throwing stones and him you probably won't think there is my guru there there uh, <laughs> unless we have that essential vision that pariksha maharaj is sure so that's important for us because those are very important examples there in the bhagavatam the main example for guru disciple relationship pariksha sukadev there and then Vyasadev with Sukadev at the same time. So I'm saying all this to make this point. You know, like you may be younger than me in age, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that I cannot learn anything. You know? So I, I try to, hopefully, whatever I have to share today is not from the place of only I can instruct you, but all of us are. Ultimately, Krishna consciousness is a teamwork. It's not a competition who teaches who teaches whom, but how each of us can nourish each other and and reach the goal. We are not competing with one another about who, who reaches first or anything. It's just a family, uh, so to say, teamwork, basically. No? So <clears throat> in connection to to the topic of today, Bhagavad introduced that a little bit. We'll, we'll try to talk about two words that... Actually, I included them in my last book, Radical Personalism. And one is real, realism, and the other one is idealism. So we may, we, have, we may have an ideal, and we may be idealistic, but also we have to be realistic. So how not to lose our ideal, but also how not to be over-romanticizing Christian consciousness in the way that we try to pursue that and in time we realize oh this is unsustainable it's not possible for me to to keep whatever the standards or this or that or, so how to embrace our practice our lifestyle in a in a sustainable way basically in a realistic way mm -hmm. we are Vaishnavas now Vaishnavas means those who worship Vishnu and Vishnu is the god of maintenance Rama creates Shiva destroys, Vishnu maintains. So we, our deity is the god of sustainability. <laughs> so we should be quite expert in that. We should be identified with this idea of how to make my life project sustainable. How to make Krishna consciousness sustainable. I don't want just to be a rising start, a weekend rising start, so to say, or in a few years, like, there he goes, and then where is he now? What happened? So how we can make our bhakti project, as I like to call it, 
sustainable for eternity. <laughs> because, I mean, I don't know you, I'm just uh, speaking for you, but I like to practice bhakti for forever, basically. So if I have such a prospect, it's a huge prospect, a prospect for eternity. So I have to learn to embrace bhakti in a way that is sustainable for me at each of the steps into eternity. So we have to develop some yeah, expertise in coexisting with our practice and our ideals and our commitments and whatever, everything that comes to us in a way that is sustainable, normalized, healthy, inspiring, <laughs> basically, and not a guilt trip and not something in which we end up becoming more dysfunctional than what we were before starting the, the whole bhakti journey. That can happen also, just in case. Not because bhakti in itself brings its function, but the way we may embrace the practice, if it's not healthy and natural, can create unnecessary pressure, unnecessary anxiety, unnecessary uh, disturbance, so to say. So a big topic for point for today that I would like to emphasize is the idea of honesty, related, related to the idea of realism. How to be realistic in my practice means also where I want to go and also where I am. Like when you have the GPS, you have to put those two elements. Where I want to go, but where I am also. If not, you don't have like a point of reference. And what's the distance between one point and the other, point A and point B? So to be realistic means to clearly ascertain this. Where I want to go, take your time, and where I am with all that it implies. Where I am, I'm not just saying human form of life and I'm living in Mayapur, India. Where you are internally, which is your present uh, situation and struggles and needs and, and many things that we may not know that they are there. And we may need to be introspective about that so we can know which is the the battles we have in front of us, so to say. Not as something bad, just as something. What's the present challenges so we can grow to the next challenges so we can grow to the next challenges. And that's how progress happens. Don't expect progress just to happen like a smooth ride on a boat and you're just like bathing, have some bathing and uh, reaching Golok Brindavan suddenly. We need challenges. No? Those are healthy. Those make us our life have purpose. So <clears throat> in that connection, I like to emphasize the point of honesty you know, because it's so important and it's such a crucial idea in our tradition. And in connection to that, let me ask you one question, if I may, which is, what's, what's the meaning of the word, I hope you know this one, sadhu. What does it mean, sadhu? Saintly person. Saintly person. It has many meanings. Another meaning is uh, honest person. Okay. okay. That's, that's what I, that, those two replies is what I required. Let's go first to Urugaya's answer. So generally, many times we may say Sadhu is a saintly person. Then we will go to Nanda's answer. And of course, both are correct. But I want to emphasize one thing in connection to that. Because we want to say, okay, Sadhu is a saintly person. And then if I ask you, what does it mean to be a saintly person? What's your idea of saintly person? What will you say? 
what the Vaishnavas in the assembly had to, to say. Your heart is connected to God. Mm -hmm. Okay. Something else? We are doing brainstorming all together. No problem. There's no wrong answer. I didn't bring my danda, so I won't be chastising anyone. No problem. <laughs> Someone renounced? Okay. Surrender. Okay. Thank you. So, when we say sadhu, sometimes we may say saintly person, and when we say saintly person, we may go to some of these ideas. You know, a person who is surrendered and pure, and I don't know, by extension, may come like a good character, like saintly character, saintly behavior. Uh, or even we may go to the point of perfect being or something. No? Sometimes we may put like saintly, it's like. Now, and we may ascribe all that to the word sadhu. Right? Okay, I'm not canceling that, but <laughs> something interesting if you pay attention is how Krishna chooses, Krishna himself chooses to define the word sadhu in the Bhagavad Gita. The word sadhu in the Gita appears like two, three times, but the main verse when he speaks about who he considers a sadhu, he gives quite a different picture. Interesting. He says, Apichet Sudracharo Vajanti Mamananyabak Sadhureva Samantavya Samyagya Vyasitavisa. This is verse 39th chapter. Probably this is one of the most controversial verses in the Gita. <laughs> and Krishna is saying, again, you may think a sadhu is someone who behaves really nicely. Krishna starts the verse saying, Apichet Sudracharo, speaking about someone who behaves really bad. Oops. He's saying sudurachar. Achar means good behavior. Durachar means bad behavior. Sudurachar means very bad behavior. So, so Krishna says, even if someone is a very bad behavior, that's how he starts to speak about the sadhu. But he says, bhajante mama nanyabhag, that person is determined in, in, in surrendering to me, in worshiping me, in becoming my devotee. Despite very bad conduct, still, sadhu Sadhu, for me, that person, in my opinion, that person is a sadhu. Because that person is properly situated in his or her determination. In other words, my determination is I want to serve, love Krishna. I'm still a mess, but I want to love Krishna. And I fail, and I want to serve, and I fail again. <laughs> But Krishna is not seeing the failing. Krishna is seeing the other part, no? the, the, oh, the standing up. No? As they say, the same floor in which you fall is the same floor helps you to stand up. So Krishna is just seeing the standing up. No? He's not taking, oh, he failed once, twice, thrice. No, he's saying he stand up once, he stood up twice, he stood up thrice. Wow. Despite all that falling. Wow. The standing up becomes specially charming for Krishna. <laughs> That's the way he, in his merciful glance, will see us. Remember, Krishna is not a, a cold-hearted guy, so to say. <laughs> he's the most loving, merciful person. So in this verse, he's defining a sadhu basically as someone honest. Again, he's not saying a sadhu is a saintly person in terms of impeccable, perfect behavior. He's saying he may be even a terrible, bad behavior, 
but terribly nicely honest. Acknowledging his bad behavior in a healthy way, being open to accept that sincere repentance and determined to love me. And, and coming with to, to me in all his or her messiness, so to say, with all that honesty. Wow, for me, that's a sad of Krishna says. So that's a way more, how to say, <laughs> uh, I would say realistic way of describing the words. Of course, it, it's also saintly, it means saintly. But we could say the beginning of saintliness is honesty. <laughs> because saintliness is not something that we are just normal guys and suddenly, I don't know, we start floating or we start hearing the flute or having visions. It's all a, <laughs> a gradual process and begins with honesty. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, in another verse in the Bhagavatam, 1, 5, 11, a well-known verse that Bhadvisargu Janataga Viplavu Jasmin Pratishloka Mabadabhatip and so on, Bhagavatam is saying, it ends up with the word sadhava. How the sadhava is a synonym with sadhu. And Srila Prabhupada translates this word, which again could be translated as saintly person. He translates it as thoroughly honest man or woman. Thoroughly honest. So again, he goes to the, 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 crux, the crux of this term. To be a sadhu means to be thoroughly honest. And thoroughly honest, wherever you are in your life, doesn't mean that I can be thoroughly honest about acknowledging my difficulties, my struggles. It's not that thoroughly honest about, I love you, Krishna, purely and perfectly. That's a way of honesty. But before that honesty, there has to be another, many other layers of honesty. Hmm. So the Bhagavatam is also Prabhupada is translating this word sadhu, and the word sadhu comes from sat. Sat means what is real. Hmm. But we want to be sadhu, means we want to be honest people, basically. Hmm. We want to be honest people. Again, Vyasadev is the archetype of the guru, and Vyasadev was so honest when he himself was frustrated about compiling the scriptures, and he felt I'm failing. What's going on? I'm not doing. Pro he's. I mean, he's a guru open to correction, which is an important point. Honestly, the very beginning of the Bhagavatam also. Dharma preto satam. Satam is a word for sadhu. You can only understand the Bhagavatam if you are honest. Again, Bhagavatam not saying if you are perfect, if you are pure, if you are saintly, if you are transcendental. He's saying, be honest. Wherever you are, be honest. Um, if you are honest, wherever you are, you will reach all the other places you need to reach. As I was quoting the other day, my friend in Michigan, Deva Madhav Prabhu, and he will he will paraphrase the famous chant and be happy. He will adjust one word there to make this point clear. He said, chant and be honest. Because sometimes we want, I want to chant and just be happy. But probably you have to be honest first. <laughs> because if we just make happiness like a demand to the Mahamantra, give me happiness, you Mahamantra. You hear, I want to be happy. I want to be happy. And you may, if you are fortunate, you will hear like the the breeze back, go coming back to you like a boomerang. But what about being honest? <laughs> you want to be happy without being honest? That sounds like cheating. I don't want you to be to cheat yourself. Harinam will tell. Harinam is Christian himself. <laughs> so I'm making this point over and over again just for us to be clear when 
we want to be sadhus, not just for being famous as sadhus, but we want the quality of what does it mean to be a sadhu. Because we know that Krishna is especially fond of that. Krishna says in Bhattan, sadha bohridayam mayam, sadhanam hridayam tuham. The sadhus are my heart, I am the heart of sadhus. That's how he reciprocates with someone thoroughly honest. So today's lecture is basically about that, you know, emphasizing being honest above all. Not so much being perfect, but being honest. And that honesty will take us to all perfection. But we have to begin with being honest, not with being perfect. Imagine if we think, okay, to begin with, I have to be perfect. That's it. Oh, game over. If you made that the first prerequisite in your journey is to be perfect, journey is over before you started. <laughs> so being honest is real, what we are talking about here. So that's why we are calling today's lecture realism in idealism. We have an ideal, but how to be real in that ideal? How can we apply our highest principles in practical way? Our highest principle, our most saintly principle, in a practical way, in an honest way. <clears throat> How to make the journey sustainable, again. All of us are on a journey here. I like to conceive of, of bhakti as a journey and, and of each of us as a pilgrim in the journey. At the end of the day, we are nothing more nor less than pilgrims. No? That's a glorious thing. We are not like gurus, sannyasis, senior, L. at the end of the day, we are all pilgrims. We are on a sacred journey. Being a pilgrim doesn't mean just take a flight and go to Vrindavan or Kantumayapur. I'm a pilgrim, and when you leave the dam, I'm no longer a pilgrim. No, no, we are always, always a pilgrims. That's a state of consciousness. So how to, how to engage in our pilgrimage in a sacred and sustainable way, again, sustainable. We have to make our practice sustainable, long, short-term, middle-term, long-term. We have to practice in a way that is sustainable forever, basically. Because it's like any relationship. Like if you have a relationship with whomever, your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your whatever, whomever. Any relationship requires, I mean, you cannot just establish a relationship and expect the relationship to maintain itself automatically. <laughs> Imagine the guy you tell to your wife, okay, from now on, the relationship will be, will take care of itself. So I won't invest my time and energy in you. There won't be reciprocation. Everything will happen mystically by Krishna's grace. <laughs> with, with some good luck, you will receive only one slap in your face. <laughs> Because that's not realistic. That's not how a relationship works. You have to constantly be, and that's and that's beautiful. I'm not saying that's bad. You have to be pouring your own heart on a daily way, day after day after day, both parts in a reciprocal way. You have to be investing for the maintenance of the relationship. Maintaining something means that something is growing. Don't don't misunderstand. Maintaining is not just let's keep the whole thing in the same place always. That's not maintenance. Real maintenance means something has to grow. If it's not growing, it cannot be maintained. Try to think of any relationship the same. Try to tell again your best friend or something, let's maintain our relationship always in the same place. Well, friendship is over in that moment. <laughs> so maintenance requires development. 
And it's a relationship. So our bhakti practice is the same because bhakti is a relationship. Bhakti is not just like, I don't know, a social affair or whatever. It's our development of our love and relationship with God. So for a relationship to be maintained and grow, we need to invest ourselves on a daily basis in a sustainable way, again, in a, in a commonsensical way. Common sense is not so common sometimes. I call it in my book, uncommon sense, because <laughs> it's not so common, or uncommon common sense. Because sometimes we, as as, as Gaudiya Vaishnava, we may quote Guru, Shastra, Sadhu, we may say, okay, Shruti Smriti Puranadi Pancharatra Vidim Binaha, I can't Giharar Bhakti Rukpata Yai Bakalpati. Whatever bhakti is not executed according to the Shastra becomes a disturbance to society. Okay, but even if you quote Shastra without common sense, that becomes a disturbance to society also. <laughs> you follow my point? So you can take Guru, Shastra, and Sadhu and create a big disturbance if you don't have common sense. You, I'm, I'm sure you, are, you have heard many times how in the name of Prabhupada said quite this quite a lot of disturbance may have happened. And, and Prabhupada himself, at one point in his life, said, from now on, no more Prabhupada say. No? Because he could see the potential misreading and misapplication. So common sense is very important. Common sense, like developing some criteria, some sensitivity when we quote Guru, Shastra, and Sadhana, has to be done in a way that is nourishing our faith. It's creating growth in us. It doesn't make sense to just practice, I don't know, to give an example, practice mechanically and not be inspired, be more and more less inspired, but instead, but just reproduce the pattern. That that's that's a recipe for unconsciousness. So we have to be very careful about whatever we are doing on a daily basis to do to do it with consciousness. The movement is called Krishna consciousness. There has to be consciousness. Because if we repeat something. A few times in a catatonic way, <laughs> that creates unconsciousness, that numbs us. And we, need, we want to awake, we want to be alive, we want to, <clears throat> to honor our, our tradition, our, the ideals of our tradition. So that can be tricky because we, we have a very deep tradition with very high lofty ideals, very detailed theological descriptions. I mean, a lot, you know? <laughs> and and very deep eternal prospect is described in the scripture. So, two things can happen. I mean, many things can happen. But at least two that come to my mind. By belonging to a tradition with such a high standards and ideals, one, you can become very easily and quickly neurotic by thinking, "I never enough. I cannot get it. It's too much. I'm too low. This is too high." and probably conclude, this is not for me. And that's not the idea, of course. But the potential danger is there because such a high ideal that we may feel, I'm, I'm never enough for this, which is not the idea, but then that can happen. Or also something that can happen is in another direction, another equally dangerous thing is oh, to feel, I belong to such a high, sophisticated school that 
I'm already saved and I, I'm in the high and I'm in the elite here. Now I'm part of the saved elite. So I can just relax because I'm saved. I'm living in Mayapur. So what else? Mahaprabhu is merciful. <laughs> so we can even misread the idea of mercy as oh, Mahaprabhu is merciful, Nityananda Prabhu. So I can I can just be complacent and mediocre and mercy will always be there. <laughs> Things like that, no? or, or develop some superiority complex. Well, again, I belong to the to the high tradition, and become sectarian and fanatic. I'm not saying you are doing that, but all these things are there in potential, and we have to be very very careful. Hmm? <clears throat> but going to the first idea for a minute, this idea of we have a very high ideal, very high, noble, beautiful, deep. Uh, descriptions of ecstasy and love and the developments of love. We study Bhaktivedanta. It's like, wow. <clears throat> but again, we are to arrive there gradually. If you study Upadeshamrita of Rupa Goswami, he used the word anukram or kram many times, which means like sequence, like gradually, step by step. You take one step, <clears throat> second step. <clears throat> Even sometimes you have to move backwards in your journey. To uh, like if you are walking, maybe you have to jump a river, lo little creek, and, and you cannot just by the momentum you are gaining while walking, you cannot just so you have to go backwards. You run and you jump. No? So you get my point no? because sometimes your journey you may feel oh, I'm going backwards. No? Not necessarily. I mean. It can happen, but not necessarily. It can be part of the journey. Or if you are going to a, to a mountains like this, it's not like you are going this or you are going this. You may be going this and this and this and this, zigzag, up and down. It's part of the journey. And so that's why I emphasize the analogy of a journey. So we don't think like this is like a like a mathematical formula. Like just do this like this, it works like that, that, go lock them down. Great, good luck. No, it's a whole adventure and journey, and each case will be different. So we have to be very careful also not to not to compare with each other. No, that's a recipe for misery. No? If you want a good recipe for misery, if you want to be really miserable, uh, just compare yourself with other one, other person. Immediately you're in anxiety. Immediately. I mean, I'm not telling you to do it, but just <laughs> uh, you get my. Indirectly, I'm telling you not to do it. No? So, um, <clears throat> so we, we have to honor the uniqueness of our journey. With all its mess, with all its ups and downs, with all its left and right and zigzag, that's your journey. Don't try to make others' journey yours, nor to impose your own journey on others. Each one is in their own unique journey. I mean, we are accompanying each other. Many of us may be in the same boat, so to say, traveling together, or some of us may be in different boats, but carried by the same winds, if you want to put it like that. But the journey is individual at the same time. So it's important that we honor the uniqueness of that and, and don't force ourselves to be, to feel that we have to be perfect uh, to begin with, just in case clarifying that. You don't have to be perfectly pure, perfectly impeccable for Krishna to love you, for Guru Dev to love you. That's an important point that I try to make many times. Again, I'm not saying that as a 
as a license for, for you to degrade yourself or be lazy. If you understand that the spirit of my words is way the, the opposite of <laughs> Like, <clears throat> if we force ourselves to be some, something that we are not, let's say, <laughs> if we try to be on a, on, a, on a level that we are not, immediately that implies that we have to deny certain things that are part of our stage now because we want to be in a place that we cannot be. And that immediately implies repression. And no wonder that the word repression is almost the same word as depression. Depression means like you are pressing something down, like hiding. I don't want this to come up. No? Depression. That's the result. No? And, and sometimes we may end up numbing, numbing emotions numbing numbing you understand the word numbing yeah numbing impulse and when we numb an emotion we may have, we as, as sadhakas as practitioners sometimes we may go through some one emotion that comes and it may not be the highest topmost ecstatic form of emotion <laughs> probably it won't but it's something we need to allow also that we need to address we need to allow ourselves to be humanly present <laughs> Because if we develop, uh, how to say, if we develop the habit of numbing our emotions because they are Maya, because I shouldn't be feeling that, because this is wrong, <laughs> this type of narrative. When you numb one emotion, generally you numb all others as well. It's not that you are generally selective in your numbing of emotions. So that's delicate because, I don't know, you may we may, we may be going and I think all of us, I mean, Let's be honest, all of us will go through some painful emotions. So we may try to numb the painful emotion because we don't want to go there. But sometimes by numbing a painful emotion, we also end up numbing positive emotions. And we become a numb, numbed person in, in general, and that's not the idea. Bhakti is about engaging everything for the pleasure of Krishna. So if pain is coming to our lives, Allow the pain to teach you a lesson. I mean, the pain is coming for some reason. Pain is not coming for you to put it under the rough, so to say. Pain is coming to make us more, I don't know, more humble, more dependent of mercy, more sensitive, more aware of needs we need to change. <clears throat> more human, again, that's an important word, human. We want to enter the human pastimes of Krishna and Golok. You cannot enter there if you are not fully human. So we want transcendence, but it's a human transcendence. We don't want, we are not going to Baikuntha or some other place which are pleading way more extraordinary. Four arms, people have four arms. That is not so human. That's a little bit like, wow, what's going on here? <laughs> we will go to Vrindavan, to Mayapur. That's human. That's transcendental and human at the same time. So if you want to live in a place that is human and transcendental you have to retain your humanity and plus integrate with transcendence spirituality spirituality doesn't mean stop being human on the contrary spirituality means be fully human and fully spiritual and integrate the two <clears throat> and part of being human <clears throat> for most of us again is to acknowledge probably our shortcomings, some failures, 
brokenness, messiness, all this of these words that sometimes make make us uncomfortable. Uh, but that we need to embrace and accept and know that Krishna is loving us unconditionally, despite that. And that's an important point that I don't think we can ever emphasize enough. In other traditions, they emphasize this quite a lot, Christian traditions and others. But in our tradition, we don't emphasize too much, in my opinion, that we are already loved by Krishna unconditionally. Many times for not emphasizing that enough. And that's in Shastra. In my book, I, I, I write the whole chapter, not chapter, but section about that and and put all these quotes. I don't know. I, I know it's a very long list of quotes that I mentioned there, but I, I put them because I felt some of us may say, Maharaj, that's not in Shastra. Okay, here you have. <laughs> Krishna's loving you unconditionally, which means you don't need to earn God's love. It's already there. And what we are trying to do now is to reciprocate to that. It's not that Krishna doesn't love me and I'm struggling so hard so he, he loves me someday. It's not like that. Don't be, be very careful not to conduct your practice with that orientation. Thinking Krishna may be angry with me because I'm so fallen. Krishna doesn't like me so much because I'm a mess. So I have to struggle to earn his love someday. That's not Krishna. <laughs> Krishna already loves you unconditionally. Before even you knew that Krishna existed, <laughs> his love was there unconditionally. What to speak of Mahaprabhu, Nityananda, indiscriminate, unconditional, costless mercy. So for me, that's a game changer. If you start your practice with that idea in mind, I'm already being fully loved and accepted by God. He already gave that fully. So what, what remains is me giving back the embrace, so to say. So I will practice my bhakti not as, as an attempt to convince Krishna that he loves me. Please, Krishna, I'm not that bad. I'm not that messy. <laughs> but I'm practicing with the joy and celebration of knowing that I'm already loved by, by, by Bhagavan. That's very different if you pay attention. That's not very different. Externally, it's the same thing. But the, from which place we are doing that, that's very different. <clears throat> and that's way more sustainable, in my opinion. <clears throat> and we will practice deeply with our heart being moved, because imagine if you know that someone is loving you unconditionally, that moves your heart, that melts your heart. You want to do something about it, to reciprocate. From that place, we want to practice bhakti, celebrating. Sankirtan is a celebration. No, it's not something forced thing. Okay, I have to do it because if not, my God will be angry. I have to appease God and we may be projecting even, I don't know. Anyhow, unresolved parental issues. Sometimes if your father was too strict, you project, okay, Krishna must be equally strict. So I don't want him to be angry with me. So I'll have to chant my rounds because if not, Krishna will invoke Sudarshan Chakra anymore. Who knows what? We create our, many times we create our own idea of Krishna, to be honest. So we have to be very careful that the Krishna we are conceiving is the actual Krishna. And it's not our mind Krishna. No? That is an angry father figure, thunderbolt in hand, chakra in another. <laughs> very easily angry and not loving. That's not Krishna. That's not our God. 
So it's important that we have the right idea because with the right idea will be the right practice. The right conception will be the right sambanda, right avideya, and right prayojan, right goal. <clears throat> if we don't have this orientation, we may enter into a, I don't know, into a trip of perfectionism many times. No? So I, I'm perfectionist in, in many things myself. I confess that. Hmm? She's calling you? Yeah, it's okay, it's okay. No I problem. thought you wanted water, that's why. Oh, no, 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 no. I wanted to get you water. I wanted to ask thank you, you because oh, she's thank busy. <laughs> Thanks so much for your care. I have water just in case. I don't want... Do you need the light? I'm okay, but maybe in a few... Later for the yeah. camera, it may get dark, but I'm okay. Like, yeah. Sorry. For no, no, no. Thank you. For, thank you for the concern. I was saying just that sometimes... I, I, I was doing my personal confession. I'm a perfectionist. Uh, I'm trying to balance that so not to become too extreme. But perfection in terms of I like to write, so I want things to be nice, <laughs> and, and so on and so forth. But also, it's it's a very it's a very fine line because if you become too much of a perfectionist, very easy to fall into guilt and very easy to fall into shame. You know, like feeling like I'm failing, I'm never enough, because you put yourself such a high standard of how to do everything. And you fail always. No? You self-sabotage yourself, basically. No? Okay, I will write the book, but the book has to have the standard of whatever. Srila Jiva was Swami and this and that. It's over. No? You're already like thrown there, like, I'm not, not enough. I cannot do it. This is not for me. <laughs> so, so we could say that, no? Like, from too much perfectionism, shame very easily can come. No? And we can develop a whole culture culture of shame, even sometimes among how we relate to each other. No? If you are not up to the standards, no? be ready for shame no? or something like that. No? And, and we may follow the standards just because we don't want to go through that. <laughs> that may become the main driving motivating factor. Uh, and that's not, that's not, again, the idea. No? The idea is not to engage in our practice or life out of shame or out of fear of shame. Uh, hopefully, Krishna said in the Gita, bhakti is to be joyfully practiced. So indirectly, he's saying, don't be neurotic in practicing bhakti. No, try, try to practice bhakti in a way that you don't go mad. Let's put it in simple words. No? Try to practice bhakti in a way that you're not getting neurotic, extremely perfectionist, entering a guilt, shame trip. That's not bhakti. That's not the Bhakti Krishna wants you to practice. Do you think Krishna is enjoying your guilt trips and all that stuff in the name of being strict in my vows and Bhakti? <laughs> no, he may be crying more than you, so to say, in that situation. No? He's in your heart, fully empathic. So we have to be, again, we have to be realistic. Going back to our main point, we have to be honest. Where I am, how can I practice Bhakti today? Tomorrow, we'll speak tomorrow. Today. Don't go into a grandiose journey of next year. Let's start with short-term goals. You know? Let middle-term goals, let long-term goals, and so on and so on. How to make your practice sustainable. Even if you have some particular problem with something. Like we were talking the other day, some of you were in that lecture. Which one classical example for regulative principles. 
<clears throat> that in, in, in certain Gaudiya Vaishnava societies are quite emphasized. I have nothing against those. Clarify again. I clarified the other day. I clarify again. I have nothing against those. I'm following them. <laughs> but sometimes you can overemphasize that to the point that someone enters into a guilt trip in the sense of if I fail in that, there's no hope for me as a devotee. And the other danger is if I follow them, I'm perfect. Nothing can tell me. Not, nobody, nobody can tell me anything because I'm following the four wrecks. While the goal of bhakti is not following the four wrecks. That's just, let's create a basic sattvic human platform to engage in bhakti. You follow. So if you are following them, don't become overtly uh, confident that uh, that's it. Krishna, I'm following the four, so you are forcing me to take me to Golok on the end of this lifetime. Again, that's not how a relationship works. It's not that you present Krishna paper or merit list. I did it, so you are. That's not. That's not a relationship. <laughs> and it's not like a formula. If I do this, this, this has to happen magically. It has to be more personal. Krishna is a person. Don't forget, <laughs> he's not a machine. <laughs> that I do certain formula and he automatically replies. Okay, everything is fixed. I mean, don't. That's not behave as, as machines. Ourselves don't treat others as such. And as I told you a few times, I've, I've seen devotees, unfortunately, many times getting extremely discouraged because they had some problem with following one of the four regulative principles. And that really, I mean, the guilt they felt became the main obstacles on top of not being able to follow the principle. <laughs> you follow my point. Not being able to follow may create some problem, but if you enter into a guilt trip because of that, then that's a real problem. I remember once one devotee went to Srila Siddhar Maharaj, Srila Prabhupada's dear God brother, and he was a Prabhupada disciple, actually. And he had some problem with, with ganja, with marijuana. And he was like on a guilt trip 2.0, like completely. <laughs> and he was just ab ab about to abandon the whole practice altogether because he was not able to leave that habit, let's put it like that. He went to Sula Siddharmaraj like expecting the worst. No, he was like, okay, I'm going to confess my crime here. And Sula Siddharmaraj will throw me out of the balcony and <laughs> tell me to commit suicide, whatever. And he said, Shila, she says, Sula Guru Maharaj, I, I, I want to confess you something. I'm I'm having I, I cannot I cannot leave smoking ganja. I have his Sula Siddharmaraj look at him and say, like, what? That's not such a big problem, he said. No. He said, worse than that is Vaishnava Aparad. No. And if you continue chanting the name sincerely by avoiding offense, everything else will gradually fall into place. And that was his reply. No. And it's not that Srimad was encouraging smoking of ganja or anything. He was just being realistic about, not only about don't be neurotic, but about have faith in the power of Krishna's mercy. Don't lose sight. Don't, don't think that, as I like to say, don't think that your anartas are more powerful than Krishna's mercy. Don't give them too much weight in your own mind to the point that you lose sight of the power of Krishna's mercy. Even if you put in one side of the scale all your anartas put together, condensing one single ball, <laughs> in one side of the scale, 
And that's how the Kildibus Mahaprabhu's mercy. Where, where do you think this, this cave will take? My anartas are more powerful than Mahaprabhu's mercy. Really? Really? <laughs> I don't think so. You follow my point. So, so even in the midst of our struggles, in the, in the midst of realizing I have this particular anartha, I mean, you have to acknowledge those things with honesty. I'm not saying just relax, do away, put them under the... No, no. Acknowledge that in the context of Mahaprabhu's mercy. You follow? Don't think that, oh, because I have this anartha, there will be no more mercy. It doesn't work like that. Because mercy is unconditional. Unconditional means it doesn't care for your conditioning. Basically, that's the meaning of the word. I'm a conditioned soul. Here you have unconditional mercy as the recipe for that. That's, I mean, we use those words always, no? but we need to <laughs> make sense of them. But Krishna, I'm so conditioned, so conditioned. No? It seems like we want to convince Krishna that our artists are more powerful than his mercy. <laughs> and, and unconditional mercy is there always to put to balance the whole equation so <clears throat> again we have to be more how to say learn to be more learn to normalize our situation instead of stigmatize our situation we can be very quick into stigmatizing others or sometimes ourselves many times we treat ourselves way worse than we will treat anyone else we will say things in our own mind to ourselves that you will ever, never dare to say to anyone. <laughs> so many times we are not so generous, I will say, with ourselves. And we have to learn to be so. In a, in a humbling way, again, with this, I'm, it's not that I'm promoting, I will be generous with myself. I will, as we were talking the other day, it's not a narcissistic exercise. No, I'm so good, so nice, I'm generous, I'm love, I love myself. And I'm not saying that. I'm, but I'm saying, as I said the other day, Krishna is finding something in you, in each of us. He finds something worthy of his unconditional love. He finds something in you that is lovable for him. Yes? So you have to take care of that. You have to identify, oh, there's something in me. As long as I see an artist all over the place, <laughs> there is something that Krishna is loving. And that's me. There's something in me by constitution, that's Krishna's beauty and miracle. I am lovable for God. So I, I have to honor that. You follow my point? I have to honor that. That's not arrogance. Hmm? You also, Palika, honor that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's doing it. Nice. <laughs> honor that. <laughs> Whoever we are, wherever we are, let's be okay. Again, there's work to do. I'm not saying let's honor that, relax, and do, no, no. On that foundation, of, there's something in me that Krishna's loving, the unconditional mercy is coming more powerful, but all conditioning put together. On that basis, I'll engage in bhakti and work through whatever needs to be worked through, which may be a long laundry list, but <laughs> but on that foundation. That gives lots of hope, lots of empowerment. Instead of entering again into this game of perfectionism or comparison, as I say, with comparison is more as we talked the other day about fitting in and belonging, right? 
sometimes we confuse these two words. We think, I want to belong to the community. And sometimes, because you want to belong, you stop being yourself and fit in. But fitting is not belonging. Fitting means I stop being myself and I start to behave as everyone is expecting and I'm fit in. Belonging means this is me who I am <laughs> and, I, and I am accepted for who I am. Then you can belong. You don't need to stop being who you are. You need to be who you are to belong. Hmm? Because if not, again, this comparison game is has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with self-acceptance, with belonging, with authenticity. Comparison is more like, be like everyone else, but better. That's a comparison narrative. No, it's, okay, I have to be like all of them, not be myself, be like all of them, but better than all of them. Don't go into that journey, please. <laughs> That's not the idea. That's not the idea. Okay. So what else? A few more words and we can entertain some questions if you have or comments. Um, what else? <laughs> Well, something that comes to mind will be also important. Krishna consciousness is not a journey about certainty. That's a word we used the other day. It's not about being sure about everything and having the perfect answer for everything and knowing what to do at every moment. It's Of course, we need some of that, but also we need to be in a situation where there is uncertainty. and There is place for that. And I'm okay not knowing something. <laughs> Because if I want to be certain about everything, that speaks about how insecure I am, basically. But if, I, if I'm secure and I'm securing myself and I trust Krishna's mercy, I can be in a situation where I don't have a clue what's going on. <laughs> but deeply trusting, Krishna is protecting me. He knows what's, why this is happening. And in time, I will understand. I don't need to figure out everything at every moment. So it's important that we don't make Krishna consciousness a certainty trip, so to say. No? So I know about every question and everything. Oh, it's good that we are... And, and you are younger again, so it's important. And, and most of you are going through teenage years. And teenage years are the chapter of uncertainty and crisis and existential crisis. I mean, I've been a, I, even if you don't believe me, I've been a teenager as well myself. <laughs> Yeah, I joined the movement, I was 19. So yeah, I had my good chunk of years before that and during that. So yeah, uh, teenagehood, I mean, I'm not saying something bad, it's, it's something great. I mean, as every period in life has its purpose. So it's a period of changing paradigms and questioning things and questioning ourselves and having crisis. Crisis is not a bad word. Crisis means just you're reaching a point of ta taking certain choices in your life, turning to a decisive point, uh, and, and awakening to the reality of taking responsibility for myself. What do I want to be? What do I want to do? I want to be a devotee or not? Maybe you need to give yourself permission to contemplate that second part. I'm not, I'm not promoting here to being a devotee, but my point is I know many devotees that need to ask themselves, do I want? 
I don't know how many of you, but I remember talking with a few devotees who were born in the family of devotees, and they and I appreciated what they told me. They told me, Maharaj, I was born as a devotee, so I didn't have a choice. I was a devotee. So at one point in my life, I have I had to decide for myself, do I want to be a devotee? Or this was just my family tradition, so to say. And I continue just like a more social, familiar stuff, but not so much of a personal choice, my path. So I appreciated that they were telling me, yeah, at one point I I, I chose I chose myself, but also in that choice choice I I contemplated other options. <laughs> so when you take the choice, it's really grounded and founded. So and if even if we just yeah I want to be devoted, then comes the question: with what type of devoted do I want to be? Because again, it's not one size fits all. No, okay, this is what it means to be a devotee. Enter this box. <laughs> no, no. Each one of you, each one of us have to be a devotee in our own unique way. In the beginning, we, we will receive a more generic template. Okay, change your rounds, follow this, study this book. I'm perfectly fine. But in time, is I have to be myself. At the end of the day, I have to offer my, myself to Krishna. I have to be, to make of my own self an offering that Krishna will relish. So I have to offer myself in all my individuality. I cannot just be one more number in the crowd, like Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. So I have to have my own criteria. Krishna will ask you at one point, how do you want to serve me? What do you like the most? And it's like, I don't know what what you whatever you like the most. No, no, I'm asking what you like the most, and you may collapse <laughs> because we may not have be given ourselves permission to to think about that. But that's in the Bhagavatam. Krishna is telling to the you offer. <laughs> it's okay, no problem. <laughs> Krishna is saying in the Gita in the Bhagavatam, you can offer to me whatever I like the most or whatever you like the most, like implying. I want also to taste your individuality. I don't want cyborgs you know, doing all the same thing and thinking the same way and copy pasting everything, pirating. I want parrot, not that type of parrot. At least we want the other parrot who bites the fruit and makes it sweeter. Sukadev, that type of parrot, <laughs> and not just copy pasting, imitating. Imitation is not the idea. Of course, when we are very young, okay, imitation. There is a place like a baby will imitate what everyone else is doing, and it's charming because it's a baby. <laughs> but if you're an adult and you start just to imitate what everyone is, else is doing, it starts to sound dysfunctional. Now, if we move like this and Polika starts to do like this, we'll be like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like if now if I do like this and all of you are start to do like it's not funny. <laughs> I, I don't like that. <laughs> it's not healthy. It's not no longer the time for that. No, it's no longer the time for anukar in Sanskrit. Anukar means imitation. Anusar means follow the essence. That's not the same. So you have we have to follow the or following in the footsteps. You may have heard that expression. And that's the opposite of imitation. Imitation means someone does something, I do the same thing. But I don't understand why that person is doing that. And therefore, I don't, I don't understand why I'm doing that. I'm just copy-pasting. 
following the essence means I see someone doing something and I question myself, should I be doing that or not? And from which place? From which place that person is doing that? Should I it's should I do that or not? No? And so on. We have to establish our adhikar. Adhikar means basically where we are. Uh, don't take it as a, as a merit thing, adhikar, like deserving stuff, but just establish my capacity to do everything and anything in this particular moment. And the Bhagavatam is saying, if you are able to establish your adhikar, to, if you are honest to acknowledge where you are, Bhagavatam is saying, that's real beauty. Bhaktinot hmm. Thakur frames that verse like that. To acknowledge where you are, honestly, sincerely, that's real beauty. Wow. Uh, that's that's real beauty to say that in that way. No? <laughs> so again, we don't need to compromise our integrity, cancel our identity, stop being authentic, to, to belong. That's the thing we do to fit in. But to belong, we have to be ourselves. And we need to find, of course, kindred spirits that we can be ourselves with them, of course. Because sometimes, unfortunately, not everyone is willing to see you for who you are, so to say. No? Because it's a big commitment. No? I don't know in, in English or here in, in Bengal, but in, in Argentina, I'm from from where, I, from where I'm from. People generally like, greet each other. It's in, informal, but it's a case. They say like, how are you doing? Everything okay? Immediately, everything okay is included. They do not wait for you to say everything okay. They already are conditioning your answer by mentioning that in the question. How are you doing everything okay, right? Right? So <laughs> what do you all say then? And of course, most people will say everything okay. So then continue. And we know generally not, not everything is okay. In most cases, nothing is okay. Oh, well, yeah, everything okay. okay. One is going to a psychiatrist. The other one is about to commit suicide. The other one is... Everything okay, everything, everything fine. No? So imagine if I go in the street and someone says, How are you doing? Mar everything okay? No, everything is not okay. The person will get like, Okay, uh, I have to leave now. <laughs> no? Because most people is not willing to deal with everything is not okay. But in life, that's the answer. The honest answer will have to be journalists everything is not okay, which doesn't mean there is a tragedy. It just means that there are some things that need to be fixed. <laughs> Everything is not okay. And I'm acknowledging that I'm working on that. I'd like to share how everything is not okay in my life with you. No, 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 thank you. No, don't have time with that for that. So we need to find people that they will say, oh, everything's not okay. Let's talk about it. Everything is not okay in my life either. So let's, let's share today how we failed one collectively during our day. That's part of Guyama Kiti Prichiti. Rupa Goswami said, reveal your mind in confidence. What is, I mean, you can reveal many things in confidence, of course. But one of them is, okay, let's share our failures. Let's share our stories of failure. Not failure as something absolutely a failure, but failure has to be humbling. Failure is not something undesirable entirely. Of course, I'm not saying look for failure. But even if you don't look for failure, there will be failure. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> and again, we should normalize failure. 
not stigmatize failure. Because we are very expert at stigmatizing failure. And everyone, many of us are like paranoid about not failing because of the consequences if I fail. So you are not actually doing things nicely for out of joy and off, but just of the consequences of failing. <laughs> so we should learn to understand failure from a more organic place. As we were talking the other day, sometimes in our spiritual journey, we'll have these moments of inspiring grace, inspiring hope, and sometimes failure. Inspiring hope and humbling failure. Again, not, not tragic failure, bad failure, unnecessary, humbling failure. When we fail, that invokes humility. We take shelter. We pray deeply. We're open to change. We reveal our minds. And we realize, oh, I was not the only one failing. When you we are able to belong and reveal your heart, one of the powerful experiences of that is, oh, I no longer feel myself alone with all this mess that I have in my life. I'm not the only one messy here, right? But sometimes until and unless we share our hearts, we don't realize that. And we are just trapped in our own journey of failure, so to say. And that's not so generous ourselves again <laughs> so <clears throat> anyhow some thoughts that are coming in relation to how we can with all our ideals and beautiful values and goals all of them are again glorious deep all such mercy coming to our lives how to be realistic huh? regarding that regarding where we are so we can walk in the direction of that in a sustainable, in a realistic way. Again, so Christian consciousness is not just a, a performance or a intellectual concept only, but something that we can live at every step of our journey if we are taking realistic steps toward deeper and deeper aspects of Christian consciousness. <clears throat> so I don't know if you have questions or you you may like me to, I don't know, to address some more specific specific situations in connection to what we were talking there are so many situations i remember Bhagavati suggested some originally when you suggested the the class some or some ideas that sometimes are being shared that may need to be dethroned <laughs> like you were saying like okay you have to do this like this and you will go back to god in this lifetime or marriage life is hell <laughs> or woman or Maya and all that. I mean, if you need, I can talk about that. I hope you, you don't believe any of those things. <laughs> but if you need me to un unpack some of those things or any other, we are here to to share with one another. Yeah. Um, with a, a lot of things, I mean, first, thank you so much for everything that you said. No, please. <laughs> thank you for your attention. You're... Um, so with a lot of things that uh, you mentioned, and I think it's just something I have to figure out and learn, it keeps on coming up in my life, is trying to find balance. And with a lot of things that you said, um, I felt like you're indirectly telling me uh, to find the balance between this or that, or like not be too fanatic, but still evolve and be Krishna conscious. Um, and I struggle with how to find the balance in many things. Mm -hmm. um, how do you go about that and maybe have some advice? Mm. Okay. So, 
as we already talked in the beginning, I'm, I'm not here to say I'm the perfect example of Bala. I'm not coming here to to sell that product to you. <laughs> but of course, I can share part of my journey. Again, finding balance is always a journey in itself. No, it's not that, okay, you reached this time or this, no more need for that. No, because there are so many layers of balance. No? So maybe at your stage in your journey, you need a certain type of balance. And once you get that, after some time, some other things will happen and you will need a deeper balance and a deeper balance. And that's how we are growing. No? So just for you to know, it's not that, okay, I need to get balance and once I... That thing, that just to clarify. But I think that's an important thing already to know how to deal with with balance and the lack of balance. No? When we are trying to balance some things, also, again, not, not doing from the place of once I'm done with this, that's it, but just getting accustomed, this will come usually in different forms. So that, like, again, normalizing these processes of balance, lack of balance, balance, lack of balance. Okay, in, in many advanced stages, that may be very different, but we should be okay with, okay, I may have to go through this for a few good number of years. Um, that's okay. It's part of the journey. Again, it's not something that is is bad or shouldn't be happening. As I like to always quote Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's description of Anishtita Bhajana Kriya or unsteadiness in Bhakti in his Madhurya Kadambini. He quotes all the symptoms that one may say, well, those are embarrassing. You know, like very superficial enthusiasm, incapacity to sustain one's vows, struggling with the senses. But he's describing all that in the context of describing the practice of bhakti, like saying all those things are a symptom that you are practicing bhakti with unsteadiness, <laughs> but that's, you have to go through that. No? So I think it's important also that we have acceptance of the whatever experience we may be going, because sometimes we struggle against what we are going through. You follow we are going through a lack of balance and we are like, I don't want to feel this. I want this to go out. I want to be balanced. And we are kind of in denial of the experience instead of accepting. Okay, this is what I have to go through. I'm not saying just do that, but accept the experience. Because if we are not willing to accept what we are going through, what we are feeling, if you deny that, if you begin with that first step, don't expect something very glorious to come after that. <laughs> So <clears throat> we should be expected to be surprised also by things that, I don't know, after some years you may think, okay, I, it seems I'm pretty balanced or fixed now. And you say that a little too loudly and Krishna was like, okay. <laughs> and suddenly you're like, phew, thrown into a faith crisis like never before. And, 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 and that's important in those moments like to, don't think, oh, of course, you will. You might question, did, did I do everything wrong? Was everything a hoax? What's going on? And I'm failing in, in and I'm losing faith in things that I thought. But at, at the same time, I'm not saying all of you will go exactly through the same, but sometimes those things happen. And we have to know, we have to know that those things may happen and be not, not be too surprised about that and, and disappear completely, but just okay. 
that's a new invitation to go deeper into my journey. Uh, or, or times in life that we may feel Krishna disappeared. Of course, he didn't disappear, but we may feel. I don't feel. I don't feel him. And like I mentioned in my book, probably he's getting close. Probably he's getting closer. But you are not accustomed to having him that close, and you are accustomed to to perceive him in a certain way in your relationship here, like this, so to say. And you no longer see there him here like this. He's here closer, and you are expecting here to appear here, and it's not happening. So we may feel he disappears or something like that. Right? Okay, that was Krishna knocking the door, mm -hmm. just in case. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. He's closer than ever. He's so close that sometimes we lose sight of him. Let's put it like that. Something's too close. Yeah. I, I cannot see my hand. It's too close. <laughs> Krishna is too close. I don't. I don't see Krishna. It's too close. <laughs> so, so regarding balance, okay. Yeah, all this is connected to that. Uh, again, main thing will be just try to normalize that. The, the very fact that you are aware of that, that you are aware. Okay, I would like to balance the things. I I, I know that I may go. The easier tendency is to go from one extreme to the other. No? <laughs> I don't know to be ultra fanatical and then like, oh, okay, yeah, do whatever you like, and I will do whatever I like, and go to the other extreme. No? We jump from here to there. We are too naive, too naive, and and then by being too naive, we become, I don't know, sometimes abused or betrayed, and we jump to the extreme of being cynical about everything and everyone. And we don't trust anyone. And sometimes that that can happen. And I, I, again, I'm not condemning if you have gone through that. I'm just saying that like to normalize that. But eventually, of course, we have to find some from that pendulum from naive, cynical, to reach some middle point where I can trust, but also with criterion. No? <laughs> we, we always need to find the middle point, but it may begin with gradually mm, no? so we may in the beginning be a little bit again fanatical about something you have to be like this and straight and blah, 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 to give an example and then it's it's no longer sustainable even for for you saying that <laughs> and you just go to the extreme of ah, i won't follow anything i don't care krishna loves me anyway mara say that krishna loves you unconditionally <laughs> but gradually you you start to go back to the no no i have to make to make some middle point and your middle point is not the middle point of anyone else. Follow. I mean, what's balanced for you today may not be balanced for others in their journey. So also, again, be careful with comparing. No? The, balance you, the balance you need may put someone else out of balance. <laughs> and the balance you need now may not be the balance you need in a few years. So we have not to be too like attached or over-idealizing. Okay, again, I got my balance. And we have to be patient. You know? I think patience is a good big quality and a difficult one sometimes. We are we are great at impatience. <laughs> it's, no? We will freak out very quickly. Yeah. We, 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 it's difficult for us to wait and trust at the same time. Because that's patience. Patience means waiting while trusting. Trusting that something is happening for my best Although still the situation is not fully solved, still I'm, I know that there are things to be balanced. 
but also to trust the process, to trust Krishna's mercy, to trust yourself in trying to do your best to be balanced, knowing that you are receiving help, but also that the process takes time and not becoming like too nervous about like, because if you become too impatient, then you are thrown again out of balance. <laughs> so patience, and I know it's not easy and we may fail as part of the process, it's part of the teaching of the lesson, and trying to be patient, trusting Krishna while waiting, gradually the balance is coming. We, one day we may freak out, get impatient, and I cannot wait more. <laughs> Confirmed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, again, I, and, and it's okay that we will be put into difficult situations. That that's okay. That's fine. That's life. Again, that's life. So, I mean, I I don't want to sound like the old guy. Like I've gone through a lot. You don't know, but to play the victim even. But looking back, uh, and I, I know there's a lot more difficult situations to come. But lots of difficult situations came, and but at the same time, the greatest blessings came through them. It's basically no exception to that rule. I mean, the greatest blessings are disguised into situations of difficulty and suffering, not promoting, just like, <laughs> like yeah, if something's painful or difficult, doesn't mean that it, the thing is painful and difficult. It's painful and difficult for me. For other person, it's not painful and difficult. So why for me? The lesson is there. That's what I have. I need to, to discover. That's why that situation is coming, basically. So, so uh, it's important that, that that we don't escape from those things. No? We need we learn to welcome them, to trust them, to be patient with them, and to see Krishna's hand there. And in time, you we will look back and say, "Wow, that really helped me to mature, to grow, to to be more responsible." Because that's what we need to grow and mature also to develop responsibility. And I know that may not be a popular word, but it's important responsibility. Responsibility doesn't mean you did something wrong, take responsibility for that. No? Responsibility means it's interesting the word, how the word works. Responsibility. No? That's responsibility. To have ability to respond <laughs> to life. No? As I mentioned in my book. God comes to you disguised as your life. That's the way Krishna is coming to you, as your life, as whatever happens to you on a daily basis. Feel Krishna coming to you in those situations. <laughs> so we need to have responsibility. How, how do I re respond to that on a daily basis? How I'm treating God in the form of all the situations that come to my life? <coughs> Anyhow, some thoughts. I hope that helps. Yes. <clears throat> some, else, some other question? Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, thank you. It's an amazing discussion. Um, so you spoke about at the beginning um, about the process of bhakti. About there? Uh, the the progress of bhakti. Progress. Yeah. Um, and then you spoke about like relationships and how like it may affect or may not affect. Hmm. So my question is, um, like within any relationship, 
if one has like a goal or is trying to like achieve a goal in bhakti and the other person is not exactly on the same page or like what they're doing they feel like you're being pulled down so what to do in that kind of situation like you are more talking let's say in a relationship of like husband wife or something like that no yes. because it sounds like the dynamics are more yes, yes. yeah okay <clears throat> yeah that's i would say that's one of the beautiful challenges <laughs> of being married um, i've not gone through that myself as a sannyasi but as a sannyasi i have to figure out how do i go through my own challenges <laughs> similar to those that i'm not married doesn't mean that i don't have to go through similar situations in in the in the particular shape of my husband but i, I being a sadness is not a license to avoid challenges <laughs> so i will say <clears throat> in, in a relationship where two persons are in different parts of the journey of course i will say that before officially establishing the relationship if you want to put it like that i will recommend a period where the two sides of the the two parties get acquainted with each other relatively well so they know where they are in the journey and they somehow agree to let's accompany each other knowing that we won't be on the same page always in many in many things you have to be on the same page <laughs> But in many other things, you won't be on the same page because you are individuals. You cannot be just like a copy of the other person. That's impersonalism, yeah. no? like canceling the other's personhood. So I think it's good that to be realistic, the two sides make that type of agreement, so to say, like and really deeply understand, okay, the two of us are about to embark upon a journey of a lifetime. <laughs> and probably during the whole lifetime, in many things, we will be in different pages. <laughs> during the whole lifetime. Are we willing to accompany each other <laughs> without feeling that we are being dragged down or reclaiming to the other person? You are not, you are not up to my standard. No, I have to go down because of you. <laughs> but actually the, the point will be, we will be compassionate to one another, loving to one another, and empathic to one another, and knowing one day I will be here and you will be here but somehow you will be here and I will be here. Yeah. <laughs> so so the day I, I'm falling, if you want to put it like that, I will need your help and vice versa. Yeah. No? And hopefully you complement each other, not the two of you are not at the same day, like <laughs> and if that happens, you need a third person to help you. It's okay. <laughs> Maybe the child will help with that, some other friends. You never know. Child is a guru in many ways. So I will try to emphasize that, that if you, if, if one of the two sides feel I'm being pulled down because my wife is not up to the standard, probably you are not up to the standard by feeling that way. Instead of being compassionate and loving and being willing, even if technically speaking, she's below you. And I don't even like to use those terms below, upside you. It's not a, because also it shouldn't be a competition. And again, you shouldn't be comparing with each other. Oh, he's here, I'm here. Uh, of course, you have to make an effort to accompany each other. It's a journey. It's a teamwork. It's a teamwork. I mean, if, if, if the two parts are not giving their 108%, it doesn't work, yeah. just in case. 
So it's sacrifice, sacrifice, responsibility, that's foundational. So I think, yeah, and one of the main sacrifices is being willing to adjust to the pace of the journey of the other person. As our guru or more advanced sadhus are adjusting to wherever we are. <laughs> and they are not like saying, hey, you are so low, you are not up to our experience. Nothing like that, but compassionately extending. No? Like Krishna, again, as I say, Krishna is in our heart. And he has witnessed so so much nonsense going on in our mind for lifetimes. He never put the sign saying, I'm done with it. I'm fed up. Find, find you another Paramatma. Bye. He remains there, unconditionally present. You follow. So we are receiving that. So why we are not willing to give that to others? That's the problem there, no? We like to receive those things, but sometimes we don't like to give them. Yeah. Huh? Krishna, give me mercy, give me mercy. And what about you giving mercy? Because, if, as I say before, it's so beautiful to know we are unconditionally loved by God, but sometimes it's not so nice to know that I should extend that unconditional love that I'm receiving to everyone else and see how everyone else is also unconditionally loved. <clears throat> so I will say that that's, that's ideally the way they can accompany each other. No? And, and if we are feeling this is pulling me down or, or the other person is like demanding that I'm too, I mean, of course you have to learn to sit and talk about it. That's very important also. I mean, again, I'm, I don't want to sound and give marriage advice and never be married, <laughs> but somehow I, I, I've been through so many relationships that have been like a marriage in the sense that close friends and people I've lived with for 22 decades or something. So for the relationship to continue, <laughs> we have to sit and talk for so many times, hours. I, I haven't never counted the hours, but I will say that a few of my main relationship, probably thousands of hours invested in trying to understand each other. <laughs> Even after living together for 15, 20 years. I mean, it's always, you have to, and it's a pasia, no? And sometimes for the ego, it's like, oh, no? and, learning, and learning to hear the other person instead of sitting and just projecting judgment and, and judging from which place the other person. No, 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 learn to sit and listen without judging. <clears throat> That's more difficult than how it sounds. Try to, for five minutes, look at something without projecting any judgment or conclusion. You will see how almost impossible that is. Yeah. What to speak with someone that you live with that you will feel, already, I know who you are already. So you project so much like, I know from which place you are talking, what you're feeling. Blah, blah. So that's a heavy, big exercise for us to let go of this idea of trying to control, yeah. to ascertain, to conclude about people. That's not very generous. <clears throat> so, yeah, I will emphasize that. No? And that will be, of course, that's hard work, of course. No? Don't expect like a... <laughs> but that's not something bad either. That's All of us need to go through that in one version of it or another to grow. If not, we become like dysfunctional babies at 45 years old or something. No? So we have to be pushed out of our comfort zone and many times probably be humiliated by the circumstances <laughs> in the sense of you will be talking with your partner and many times realize how much you still judge the other person 
or how you fail miserably <laughs> and you have to acknowledge that and for the false ego it's like oh it's poison but that's how you become humble and grow and open your heart and become human and and the whole bhakti process becomes even more real because of that again you have to integrate your humanity and the relationships with with bhakti you know because it doesn't make too much sense to say Krishna love you and you don't know how to relate to any other single human being. Krishna will say, how I'm supposed to take that I love you, you're telling me. If you are mistreating everyone else, including your partner, you are relating in a very evasive way, superficial, immature. Our, our love for Krishna should be reflected in how we love everyone else. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Let me introduce. <laughs> let me introduce you to to my online audience. Okay. Now you are an influencer. Online. I'm sure we have way more likes for having her in the video now. <laughs> I know how to make her smile. <laughs> yes. Um, I just I, I can't help but like bring up the point that um, as much as we can try to make a relationship work at some point, if you see that it's not going anywhere, like if we're putting in everything and we're not, it, and we try for even years, mm -hmm. I feel like it, it, it is. It is not beneficial, actually. I agree. Because we can't be nice to everyone, <clears throat> and we can't give ourselves to everyone. I totally agree. So I, Nothing that I said contradicts I, your words. I, I agree with everything you said. But I, I agree with everything you said as well. Like so thank you to clarify, to clarify. Yeah, I tried to reply to, to the particular question, and in the sense of, yeah, we have to first, as you mentioned, we have to first try. No? and try hard because of course if it doesn't work after one week and I don't try too hard no I will leave it because it's not working that's not that's not healthy because we will become very susceptible and very like victim consciousness and if something's just oh no it's too difficult oh, no I'm leaving we never be like growing thick skin as they say but again oh, one second Paulia <laughs> <laughs> Have this alarm every one hour so I can rest my eyes from the screen. And so, so my point is, I agree with you. No, I mean, not to one sense, not the extreme of being completely like how to say immature and weak and not willing to sacrifice. And at the very first conflict, I run away, but also not to the extreme that something is really not working and dysfunctional, sometimes abusive. And I tried. I mean, you, each one of us know how if we if we tried sincerely, no. So one has to be honest about that. So if you try, then it's not working. Of course, <laughs> that's another department altogether, no? so, and, and it's healthy in some cases to to take the distance, no? to preserve your integrity, whatever the case, no. Your ment our mental health, emotional health, our dignity, no. Whether it's in a couple or whether it's in another relationship, in a friendship, guru-disciple relationship. Sometimes that can happen also. I have some experience with that. <laughs> the guru is not behaving as such. One may need to take some distance. Again, all this will be super difficult. But 
it will be more difficult to stay in an abusive en environment and pay the consequences of that also. So. Um, and another thing I wanted to um, kind of relate to you about how something that I've seen is in, in the Vaishnava culture, people who are so tolerant and they just become a doormat, especially women in bad marital relationships or family relationships, they're always so glorified. They're so tolerant, so humble. Mm -hmm. And even if there's negative effects, like, like, like I'll just small example because I don't have that much experience in my life, but I've seen people who take any kind of disrespect but then they also don't they're not able they don't have something inside that they can deal nicely with others mm -hmm. okay they are so humble mm. and they're so surrendered but they can't be nice to other people mm. so it makes me it makes i don't know it's really hard for me especially as just in a woman experience seeing women be glorified for accepting being severely disrespected mm -hmm. just it blows my mind that where what am I supposed to? <laughs> I, can't, I just can't wrap my mind around it because they're all glorified for for I agree tolerating disrespect yeah yeah blows my mind as well totally agree with you <laughs> I write quite a lot in my book about that like what we may use words like tolerance humility surrender but we have to know how those glorious attributes need to be playing playing out playing out in a healthy way because in the name of all those glorious attributes you can really be promoting abuse dysfunction uh, codependency spiritual bypassing long list of stuff in the name of that so you can use the form of surrender to avoid the substance of surrender. That's how I put it in my book. You can use the form of humility to avoid the substance of humility. You can avoid, use the form of tolerance externally. No, I'm, I'm, I'm tolerating, I'm tolerant. That's not tolerance. <laughs> no. Again, Mahaprabhu said, You have to be tolerant like a tree. So what 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 does he mean? To give you an example, no? because someone said, "Oh, but Mahaprabhu said you have to tolerate like a tree." So what does he mean? That you you are a wife and your husband is beat to you and don't move like a tree, <laughs> don't speak like a tree, no? don't do anything like a tree. No, no, that's not what Mahaprabhu is saying. No? The tree, the point of the tree, the analogy of the tree speaks about what. And Bhaktivinoda explains that in his commentary on the Sikshastaka. He said, the compassion that Maha, the tolerance that Mahaprabhu is describing there is compassion free from envy. The tree is receiving things, but is giving at the same time. No, it's giving. It's giving shade, giving fruit, giving, giving. So the idea is if while tolerating, if you are tolerating something to the point that is too much, and you cannot even think about giving, means that you are tolerating too much. And you should find your place of tolerance <laughs> in a healthy place that you can, while tolerating, give, give. But if you are too disturbed, 
but the abuse you are receiving in the name of tolerance that you cannot even think about giving, then that's not tolerance. That's not tolerance. And I totally agree with you, with you, this extra layer uh, of dysfunction that not only you are being told to tolerate, quote unquote, but then you are praised for that. So that makes it more tricky because it's, well, but they are praising me. So it means that I'm doing the correct, the right thing because the Vaishnavas are like validating my stance. So it becomes even more confusing. Because you, you have done actually something that compromised your integrity, <laughs> damaged your uh, whatever internal life, and everyone is glorifying that. So, <laughs> what's going on here? So I agree. I, I don't. I mean, I agree with you. I don't agree with that. <laughs> I want you to take the necessary stand. That's why I began saying today common sense. So one has to connect with also. We have what they call the gut feeling. <laughs> so. If something feels wrong, if this is abuse, period. You know? Even if I have the whole society telling me the opposite, <laughs> if I know it's not correct, and I don't want here to sound like anarchic and I'm promoting, let's burn everything and be again. But sometimes it's not that the majorities will have the truth. You know? It's not that the big masses will be correct in everything. So sometimes there may be things that need to change. And if they do not change, well, we, we change you know, individually. We have to begin by not complying, you know, in a peaceful way. You know? But I don't agree with that. That's dysfunctional for me. And we shouldn't praise that. We should praise a proper form of humility and tolerance. And there are so many ways of humility and tolerance, depending each person in their own. It's not one way to be tolerant, because that's also the problem. For women to be tolerant means this. And you reduce all the unlimited nuance of tolerance to one variety, which is dysfunctional. <laughs> and then you, you applaud that? No, thank you. I mean, I personally, I'm, I don't have any problem to openly online this precise moment say it clear that that's not, that's not Christian consciousness. That's not healthy. That's not sadhu sangha. That's not favorable for bhakti. And to glorify that is even more confusing because we receive this message of this is worthy of being praised and the opposite is wrong so if the opposite is wrong then I have to submit I have to comply I have to be silent so I'm blessed by the assembly so to say but no sometimes we need to stop being silent basically <laughs> and stop like merging in, in, in the in the crowd and having a voice of our own. We have a voice. We have to give ourselves permission to think for ourselves, think for ourselves. <laughs> Christians giving us permission. We have to give ourselves permission. We have a voice. We are worthy. You, each of us are worthy of having a voice and thinking for ourselves. Don't think you are not. And don't let yourself be convinced by anyone. That, no, you are too young, too stupid, too immature. You don't know what's going on. You have no experience. You just follow what the elders are telling you. Submit, surrender, be humble. If not, you you may be an offender. You may be outside of the club, basically. Don't let yourself... I mean, I'm not saying everyone is telling you that, but if that happens, <laughs> I will say don't let yourself be intimidated by, by those voices. It's way more intimidating to submit to, to those proposals, I say.
yeah and i and there may be opposition if one stands for some particular but that's where we see how much we believe our own which are our values and how much we want to live our values and knowing that the price of living your values sometimes is some people won't like you some people will criticize you some people may reject you and that's when we we have to choose okay what do i want no to have the applause of the audience or to go to sleep at night and be at peace with my pillow because I haven't compromised my integrity. That's a decision we have to make every single day. Did I came to Krishna consciousness for, for principles, values, ideals, or just to compromise all of that for the sake of fitting in and being seen as a nice, as a nice girl in the community that is not disturbing and Everyone will applaud me, and I will, oh, thank you so much. It becomes like a vicious circle no, of cheating one another. No? And with this, we are not pointing at someone. These things happen everywhere, uh, <clears throat> and they can happen in us. So <laughs> we have to decide what do we want. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Bhagavad, you tell me when we, it's too long. I'm making something special, so keep talking. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you mentioned something along the lines of how important it is to accept one's uh, feelings and to not push into the feel, I can't find the word, ashamed of them. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, and I think that's also really important uh, in any sort of relationship mm -hmm. and also how emotions and how we act are two complete different things and if we have emotions like sometimes we might be scared to share them mm -hmm. but sharing them might elevate the friendship or relationship onto a complete new next level yeah especially because when you talk about what is just an emotion and you don't just act out on that emotion but you talk about the emotion and then you can figure out stuff and go from yeah. there. I think that's really yeah. Like I, I experienced that a little while ago and I think it's mm. really important. Yeah. And that's easy. <laughs> but not impossible. Yes. <laughs> I always like to make it's that possible. point. No, the, the opposite of easy is not difficult. The opposite of easy is impossible. The middle point between easy and impossible is difficult. So difficult is a middle point. Yeah, yeah. Difficult doesn't never make difficult synonym with impossible because then we become paralyzed and we won't do anything. But yeah, totally agree with, with your point. And, and that's the need why we need to have some close relationships that we can open ourselves fully, no? fully. At least one, as we said the other day, at least one person. We, we may not have 300 people that we can be fully transparent it's too much <laughs> at least a few that we can really be totally ourselves and that we can feel the same way that krishna is accepting me fully unconditional love fully we can feel that same thing coming through those people no? that's so powerful no? like we can perceive god's unconditional love and acceptance coming from someone when they are like just listening to us and receiving us without judgment but with affection that's not easy again that's not cheap but it's possible and 
we need to find that for ourselves and hopefully also be able to give that to others because it's so much in need. Even if we are not perfect in that, but sincerely trying to be present for the other person, accompany, witness their journey, be unconditionally there. Sometimes it's just being there. I mean, if the other person feels, if you are really there present, attentively hearing and well-wishing spirit, that's so powerful. Even if you didn't say one single word, the other person will feel the acceptance and the hearing. So, yeah, yeah. And that's Sadhu Sangha, of course. No? That's not just a therape therapeutic advice I'm giving. That's what the essence of Sadhu Sangha also is having those moments of intimate sharing and like nakedness, so to say, like being shown in ourselves as we are, not like trying to perform Sunday feast smile or something. <laughs> but this is who I am. Hopefully you can receive me as, 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 as broken as I am, as messy as I am. And when you are actually received like that, wow, you are totally empowered. Because wow, I have been embraced and received and loved as, in this way. That gives so much hope, so much enthusiasm. I'm loved. Again, that, that's like, like a sample of what Krishna is feeling for us. And we need to feel that more than once. <laughs> and again, to extend that to others. That's for me, actual preaching. If you would like to use the word preaching, I will say that's actual preaching. Give that experience to other people. Not just give them a book. I mean, we can give them a book. But give them the experience of unconditional affection. And that's what will actually change them. Even if you, if you didn't have a book to give. <laughs> you follow my point? If you, think, if you give the book for the wrong reasons, they may take the book and throw it after five minutes. But if you give this unconditional af affection and presence, they will never forget that. You want to be in the camera again? Yes. No, thank you. Yes, you have some. Thank you so much. Crash, uh, it is an extension that I want to ask. Sometimes when we plan ourselves in some sort of relationship, and it might be abusive. And when we approach devotees or counseling, sometimes women just become sponges to you know, absorb tolerance silence. And we receive guidance that it's your product. And if you are tolerant enough to handle your product, you will be able to go to Krishna sooner because you are just having your product. This is your product to be in abusive marriage. You want to clarify what's product for well manifest karma, let's say. Manifest yeah, just for those who don't know. Yes. How how do we understand that marriage? How do we understand that is this my product or do I need to get out of this situation? What would be favorable most of us? <laughs> okay. Yes, I, I'm trapped here. <laughs> okay. She got detached. So yeah, yeah. Again, we can use the philosophy to justify everything. You have to be careful. Like, yeah, you, let's say you have an abusive husband and it's like, well, that's your parabda karma. 
Huh? So now you swallow it. No, we'll go through it and you will get quicker, something like that. You say, someone said, I never heard that. That's that's a new one for me. <laughs> like tolerate the abuse and it will be an, an intensive treatment, but it will at the end will be faster. I, I don't subscribe to those theories, sorry. I don't subscribe to that. Of course, for some reason you chose that person, whomever that was. So you have to take responsibility for choosing the person, which doesn't mean remain in that situation of abuse, but also one takes one's corresponding responsibility. Okay, I chose to marry, to give an example, whomever, but also as I chose to marry, I choose to preserve my <laughs> integrity and, 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 and reply accordingly. So no, it's, it's not about just like allow allow abuse in the name of getting, getting get, I mean, you don't get to the law Vrindavan sooner by being abused intensively. I mean, that's not the, the, the process. You have to develop love for Krishna. <laughs> no? It's not like the more abuse I tolerate, the quicker I get to go. Give me a Shastri quote for that. No, that's not in Shastri. I mean, we will get there as, as much as we develop voluntarily passionate affection and attraction for service. It's not about the more layers of abuse you have, the more merit you will have in the eyes of Krishna, he will take your queers. That sounds a little, little strange. Not strange will be the word, little, I don't know. Anyhow, that doesn't depict Krishna and put Krishna in a nice light. Imagine Krishna say, okay, tolerate, 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 abuse, abuse, abuse. I make the rest so you get to me quicker. No? Again, if it's a situation that we have to tolerate, Sometimes we have to diff make differences here, no? Because sometimes we have we may have going through something that we cannot do some anything about it. It's not that a relationship I have to leave. Some situation is like they are there <laughs> and they remain there, <laughs> and I have to go through there and I have to tolerate. But again, the tolerance tolerate doesn't mean in this case just waiting, but waiting with faith, praying. Like the Bhagavatam say, and so on. If someone is earnestly waiting for Krishna's mercy, and maybe with that verse they, they make this theory, one should be willing to tolerate the results of one's previous misdeeds while praising Krishna with mind, words, and deeds. That person becomes a rightful heir to the throne of Bhakti. But again, that, as long as it's a sustainable thing, that you can deal with that. Because as I mentioned before, in one given situation, a person may tolerate something. Um, let's say not an abuse from another person, a certain situation. And for you, that same situation will be intolerable. So again, it's very specific to each person. That some person is going through that in a healthy way, and I cannot, doesn't mean that she must be dysfunctional or wrong and I'm right. No, maybe not. Maybe yes. Everything can happen. No? You follow my point. No, if, if you force yourself to, I don't know, I'll sleep two hours like Raghunath Das Goswami from now on. Mm -hmm. uh, you are not Raghunath Das Goswami. So for you, that will be dysfunctional. No? For him, it's okay. Someone else may be able to do it. It doesn't mean they are dysfunctional. They are imitating. For them, it may be natural. For me, it's not. So I have to know my place, so to say, no? 
know my place. Even I can say in a humble way, if I will be more realized, I may be able to tolerate this situation a little bit more. I'm not saying any situation, certain situation, but also I cannot now. So I want to honor my limitations <laughs> and I look forward in the future to become more, you follow my point, no? Because sometimes we also maybe, yeah, we may be limited in, in our capacity to tolerate or to deal with things. And we acknowledge that, but we are also take the proper steps according to our limitations, praying for more capacity, but acknowledging where I am now today also. And Krishna will see that sincerity and will provide more capacity to be more tolerant in a deeper way. So, but yeah, yeah, that upper Prabhupada karma going quicker to Golok theory. No, thank you. <laughs> I mean, if it doesn't feel like you are getting closer to Golok, then you are not getting closer to Golok. <laughs> Let's put it like that. <laughs> if you feel like you are in hell, okay, but I have to worry, hell, 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 suddenly Golok. I won't say that's the symptom to be expected, yeah. Okay, we are almost done. Something else before concluding? Okay, last one. I just have a small question. Um, you mentioned about like sometimes there's like uh, issues between like guru disciple and like other various relationships I understand it's okay, but sometimes there is some kind of uh, tension or like uh, issues like that cause a problem between guru and disciple. So does that, um, because in Krishna consciousness, there are so many people who give classes about the fact that guru-disciple relationship is like uh, very high and maintaining guru's um, words or blessings is important um but what happens in the case when like a guru may not reciprocate to a disciple mm. for some kind of reasons does it block the progress of the disciples bhakti towards krishna you have to come tomorrow morning to my class we'll be exactly on that topic really okay, yeah great i mean i will say something now <laughs> i'll be say something but just sharing the we will be in the morning, but tomorrow at 9 a.m. But the, the idea is basically to talk about that. Yeah, I've, I've made a whole chapter in my last book on, on, on basically on that, on Guru Disciple, uh, on the unusual or sometimes usual <laughs> scenarios of the dynamics when yeah, things are not going according to the ideal expectation. But I will say in brief to reply to your question today a little bit and tomorrow in detail, that if for whatever reason one guru does not reply, as you mentioned, accordingly to something or or, or agree or, or act uh, as, as he or she, just in case, was expected to behave, it doesn't necessarily block the disciples. Again, I'm talking in very abstract terms. I'm not addressing any specific situation. So we made some too generic. 
but the point is guru of course this is an important guru is a representative of krishna krishna is the original guru krishna is called the git in the bhagavatam param guru param guru guru the supreme guru of all gurus and the whole parampara begins with him so the human guru so to say is a representative of krishna the original guru see for whatever reason that guru is not responding accordingly or failing or even falling down let's take it to an extreme if the disciple is sincere in his heart trying to her heart trying to proc krishna will make the arrangements somehow or other and will keep that person connected and sheltered uh, and as i mentioned in my book before accepting a guru first we have to accept krishna as our guru because that's the foundational teaching we don't have a person guru independent of Krishna as our guru. No? The, the external guru comes as a manifestation of Chaitya guru. The internal guru is Krishna. So, so as I, there's one line that I mentioned in my book that basically says, Krishna will not allow a sincere seeker to stop advancing, and a sincere seeker will not allow anything to prevent him or her from, from advancing. No? So, in that sense, there should be always like hope and uh, warranty that, of course, some situation between guru and disciple may be complex and lots of things to solve and figure out. But at least on the foundational level, one should know. If I'm honest, no matter what happens, so to say, my connection with Krishna is here. Krishna is in my heart. I mean, he knows what's in my heart. The important thing is what's in my heart, and I have to work on that myself. But he will be providing shelter and mercy accordingly so that was a trailer tomorrow we have the uh, that will be i think in the house of a devotee called brihat mridanga which is you know him yeah okay so more details we can ask uh, it's in the, the, there is a there is a, a whatsapp group that they are sharing the news okay i'm, I'm not in that whatsapp group so you can ask them how to get there so thank you so much to all of you for being here, your time, your comments, your attention, your insights. I really learned from you, as I mentioned originally. So let's continue trying to become sadhus, which means to become honest, realistic in our journey. Sri Sri Jagannath Balai Subhadra Ki Jai, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Ki Jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai. Gold Primananda, Ivo, Vanchakalpataru, Stakripa, Sindhu, Yeva, Shapatita, Nampavani, Pubashan, Vipianamon, Anantakoshna, Brindaki, Gold Haribo.